0: Hey, it's your girl, Karen. This is the Rational in Portland podcast where we say everything you can't say in Portland, Oregon. You can find us on Twitter at Rational in PDX, formerly the Walla Moms podcast. We were formerly at Pod, you can now find us at rational and pdx come on over and find us on twitter if you like what you hear on this podcast please like and subscribe and tell a friend about us we don't make any money but if you like and subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend and get them to subscribe it really will help other people hear about the podcast today is february 7th 2022 it's my understanding that today the permanent mask mandate rule was Filed and is now official. We are under a permanent mask mandate. It is indefinite, folks. That was filed with the Oregon Secretary of State at 1229 p.m. today, February 7th, 2022. So Oregon now has a permanent mask mandate. Of course, we already had a permanent mask mandate in place for school children. As if that wasn't grotesque enough, it is now in place for all of us. And I know what Y'all on the other side are thinking, I know you're thinking, well, that just means they don't have to continually revisit the mask mandate every time it comes up for expiration. And that is exactly my problem. There will, There is no revisiting. This is the Oregon Health Authority and Governor Kate Brown telling us they will not be revisiting this decision. They will not be creating or considering any kind of off-ramp for this absurd an unscientific mask mandate. They just won't be considering it. That's it, it's indefinite, it is now permanent. Even the Oregonians editorial board came out against this permanent mask mandate, but here we are. In the UK, masks are gone. Democratic New Jersey Governor Murphy has dropped their school-wide mask mandate. That will be officially gone in March 2022. February 6, 2022, Dr. Lena Wen, CNN science analyst, tweeted, in the coming days, we will see many governors and local leaders lift mass mandates. This is the right step and marks a needed shift from government-imposed requirement to individual decision. Well, you heard it first here, folks. We are part of the lunatic fringe. And in fact, we are so loony, we are crazier here in Oregon than CNN. Governor Lamont in Connecticut got rid of their mask mandate in schools as of February 28th, 2022, Colorado has lifted its mass mandate. Democratic governor in Pennsylvania lifted their mandate. Delaware is lifting its statewide mass mandate. February 11th, the mass mandate in Delaware for schools expires March 31st, 2022. A judge in Southern Illinois ruled on Friday that their mass mandate was unlawful, so at least for some school children in Illinois, they can go to school without masks on. Connecticut, they're lifting their statewide mask mandate on February 28th. This will leave Nevada, California, Hawaii, Illinois, with the exception of the schools that could take theirs off per that judicial ruling. Illinois still has its indoor mask mandate. New Mexico, New York, Oregon, and Washington, that's it, folks. Just eight states left in the country with a, with a mask mandate, and ours is loonier than them all because ours is permanent. High-profile professional Jennifer is our guest for today's podcast. This was recorded before the mandate became permanent. Jennifer testified at both the statewide permanent mask mandate hearing, she's going to talk about that, and she's going to talk about the town hall she attended that Dan Ryan put on. Dan Ryan is commissioner in city of Portland. He's responsible for the quote-unquote safe rest Village Ordinance. That moves high-impact, those are his words in his ordinance, high-impact homeless people into Portland, Oregon neighborhoods and out of encampments. That's right. The high-impact ones are the ones that are being quote-unquote referred. I know all of you that were pro this Safe Rest Shelter program, were excited about the possibility that people who wanted services would be referred potentially by social workers, nonprofit workers, to these safe rest villages where they can get safe said services. However, that's not how this works. If you read the ordinance, what it says is high impact homeless. What is that? We'll break that down for you. Stay tuned. We'll be moved into Portland, Oregon neighborhoods. We will break all that down for you. Stay tuned for all of this. Jennifer, take it away. Tell us about this town hall that Commissioner Dan Ryan conducted in regard to the homeless ordinance.
1: Literally, they had a guy put on a presentation who runs 11 house, uh, eleven shelters throughout the um, state who was not. They, were, they had just started talking about the possibility of the contract. So he, it was like he was auditioning for the contract while on this town hall. And so wh- whatever he said, it could be, I mean, they had to have known about this, this guy. He runs the Wapato program. Ew. So why Why are they waiting? And I mean, why would they wait until now to start talking to him about Managing these villages—it just makes no sense. Um, well, I'll save this because I do—I I have gleaned a ton of information about what the real deal is and what they're, what, what they are like, putting earmuffs on and hoping for the best. What they are deliberately, you know, misleading about. Um, and i you know, I've now participated in two full town halls. Yeah. and um, have read probably 40 emails from various uh, city entities that people in my homeless group have shared. And I've gotten bullshit responses from probably 10 emails that I've sent. First of all, how did you hear
0: about the... I think some people just didn't hear about it or didn't know how to attend. So do you want to start with the homeless, or should we start with the mass? Oh, no. Let's start with the homeless. Okay, so how did you hear about the town hall in which they were going to be discussing the city's plan to put homeless throughout neighborhoods in what they call safe rest shelters? Only on next door, because...
1: Uh, the city refuses to notify people uh, of any of these town halls. It's on either the Neighborhood Association president to send out emails to people who are signed up uh, with their association, or uh, it's just constantly, you know, searching and reading and, and seeing what people post. That's how I found out about everything that I've participated in since uh, they announced that. in June of 2021 and let's remind everybody that it is now almost February of 2022 and not a single village is up and running and not... Well, one is.
0: One is. There's one under... Let me find out where it is.
1: There is one. But that's a different type. Is it? That's a... a Yes, that's not one of the six that they said we're going to be p- these low barriers. No, yeah. that's true. That's it's awesome.
0: not. Um, uh, it's not in a neighborhood. It's
1: under under a bridge. It's not in a neighborhood. Yeah, and I and I think that there are rules and conditions uh, to live there. Oh, um, oh, how do you know no. that? It was- are you talking about the one in the southeast industrial area that you can kind of
0: see from, uh, like, the 405 near OMSI? Yep. And it's got uh, the on-brand white tents that the Oregonian was taking pictures of, the white shelters. So the Oregonian, when it yeah. featured an article about these, quote-unquote, safe rest shelters had a photo of the white little homes. It looks like white plywood tents. Um, and then they put, right. like, a white visqueen around it or whatever, and they had a photo of it before they'd all moved in when it was nice and tidy. And now right. it's just filled and overflowing with garbage. And then there's, like, it looks like Bosnia or something. There's, like, concertina wire all around yeah. the... the perimeter, and then outside yeah. the perimeter, like, literally, as far as the eye can see, are zombie vehicles, zombie RVs, bike parts, garbage, and it, and it stretches out layer upon layer. It, it goes for blocks, out, even outside right. of this, quote-unquote, village area. I guess they call the white oh, things right.
1: pods. Right, which is telling, because if I'm right, and that that is a different... Um, uh, program that does require people are engaged in services and treatment, and, and, and it's still in the condition it is. Imagine what it's going to look like if Lyon is successful in putting one of these low-barrier villages, villages. Do you really think it requires that?
0: If, if, if that site, if that village, that we're speaking of near OMSI, the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry in Southeast Portland, if if that area required you to live, if you were going to live in a pod that you had to agree to engage in services, why would it be attracting blocks and blocks and blocks of people in garbage? Because they, they want nothing to do with services.
1: Oh, I, I agree. I agree. I, I don't understand I, that. I don't I,
0: understand. My, I, they must have removed whatever requirements. Maybe you signed something that, that said you would be interested in services, and then you were allowed to move in, and you could renege on that or not,
1: and they wouldn't kick well, you out. I don't. I don't think that location has twenty four hour staff on site. Oh, I. I it, there's no hours.
0: way it could. And I don't know who right. would, who in their right mind would agree to that. I mean, if you look at it, it looks like we, it it looks Uh, like mm -hmm. sub-Saharan Africa collided with a crime scene. Yeah. And I'm not talking about a humanity, the humanity crime scene that is sub-Saharan Africa, but like sub-Saharan Africa collided with the Bronx or the South side of Chicago, just like really, really scary looking stuff. And, shit going on like you don't want to be anywhere near any of that or just like filled with you it's clearly like filled with unwell and unpredictable people um totally on the edge at, at the very bottom of their lives like these are these are not people getting services no one near this place is engaged in services i mean if they were they'd go what the hell am i doing here i gotta get out of here I gotta call Grandma so and so and get a bus ticket. And I'm not living like this. I mean,
1: I mean, it's because the city never talks about it. It's never mentioned. They don't talk about it. That's exactly
0: right. I had to do my own research to find out where that
1: where where those photos that the Oregonian
0: had where they were getting those.
1: Yeah, they probably pulled out. I mean, there's probably no one down there that's doing. Um, anything. And, and, then, and then you have what uh, Ryan's plan is. And, 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 you know, it should be pointed out that that location is not in the middle of a residential neighborhood. It's close to residential no, neighborhood. No, it's not. It's, it's it
0: not at all. It's, it's, it's where, it's frankly where these things should be. Um, although, right. I, it should be closer to where these, these If you're going to put the homeless somewhere... It seems like you should put them next to the services, as opposed to we'll just move you into a neighborhood and we'll bring we'll just put the services with you. We've got all this commercial empty space
1: downtown. Oh yeah, and all over the extra center. I mean, every every possible um, you know location that makes sense has been requested or or endorsed, and they find reasons uh to say no uh to all of them
0: um, i don't i don't understand what no. the reasons would be to not see the the only thing that explains it and we'll link this in the show notes is the Willama week again we got to circle back to the Willama week article where they exposed uh, sam adams former mayor sam adams who's now the right-hand man of wheeler this is like the fourth horseman of the apocalypse here Ryan, Hardesty, Wheeler, and Adams. Adams is supposed to be the face of this and selling it to the community. And he promised, see he met with the law firms and it explains all this in the article, but I, I already know this story because I know the guys that, and gals who talk to him. The managing partners are the really big law firms that usually are t- filling the streets with people buying things and, and shopping and eating at restaurants. And nobody's in the office anymore. And and they're saying, they are telling the city, we're not coming back to work and it's not because of COVID. We're not bringing our employees back to work because they refuse to come back because it's unsafe. And the city then responds by saying, and Adam specifically is the face of this, but in this article, it details that Adam says, we've got a plan for that. We're going to take them all out of downtown and we're going to move them into neighborhoods. And we're going to get a lot of pushback from the neighborhoods. So we need your help, managing partners of law firms, selling this. And he says all this. And, and the, right. somehow a reporter infiltrated this and was writing it all down. And Willamette Week had the balls to publish it. But now we know why they're taking the homeless away from the services, which are all there. Go, go. Go take a drive from West Burnside to East Burnside. That's where the services are. That's where the food is. It's where the Salvation Army is. It's where the AA meetings are. It's where the NA meetings are. It's where the social workers are. They're all downtown. They're not next to OMSI where little kids go, nor should they be. And it is bizarre. It's not in a neighborhood, but it is very bizarre and unsettling to me that they per- the city purposefully cited that pod thing, I don't even know what it's called, uh, right next to the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry where little kids are supposed to be. We, 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 we should want them streaming out of there all the time and streaming into there. And why the city would put some apocalyptic, scary homeless camp right near there and decide that that's where we should cite this is, is beyond me. But that's where it is. But I agree with you. It's not, it's, at least it's not a neighborhood. I don't know what the hell is going on.
1: This is, this is again, one of uh, um, Ryan's uh, insane enable, enabling. Um, as he said in this meeting last week, uh, that some homeless people don't like going in shelters. They're, they would put, you know, it's just not really their jam. He, he says this publicly. And so we need to create spaces that makes them feel better about themselves and makes them happier. And that's why. I, I, why isn't somebody like in other cities posting every day, just like they post the COVID numbers, the number of total shelter beds we have, the number available? Because whenever I look, there have been beds available. Um, I yes. Same with us. We work with some eight. of these.
0: Yeah, we, we work with some of these places. In fact, and do their litigation work and their some of these these shelters and and they always have room because it's it's constant yeah. turnover because they're always kicking people out because they can't follow they they, right. they they can't follow the rules or they
1: can't. That's right. Yeah. And they and they have expectations and they have accountability. Something that Sam Adams. Okay and Dan Lyon don't believe in. But I'll tell you something interesting that happened in this meeting where, um, let me back up. So this meeting yesterday, or last week, was specifically to address concerns that people who live in the Baltimore Village area had about this proposed safe rest village that is located very close to a school that already is uh, a neighborhood that is experiencing a lot of crime, and problems because of where camps are congregating along my five. Um over a hundred people signed up for it the moderator was uh, a nice guy but had zero balls and he, he was the one that threatened to uh, mute me which i'll get to in a minute do you know his but name or totally- how he was picked He's the president of the Multnomah Neighborhood Association. Oh, it, oh got the it. First okay. first name is Moses. Okay. Um, I don't recall his last name. And and again, he's a, he's a really nice guy. And I, I realize that it's not every day that someone is, you know, Why would he threaten to or, mute
0: you, though? If he's from the Neighborhood Association, he, shouldn't he want to hear what you're explaining, which is, he, 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 hey, guys, I this kept, is what the law you know, says.
1: I kept interrupting uh, Ryan, because he wouldn't answer my question. My, my question was very concise, and it's a question I have been hitting my head against the wall for months, which is, and I've asked everyone I know every way I can, and no one will answer me, which is this. Uh, the ordinance, as we both know, specifically states that the city's plan is to move people from high-barrier camps into these villages. And yeah, in le- the let me, let me give me give everybody. high-barrier camps, are.
0: Yeah, let me give everybody some background. So it's, it's or you can find it on portland.gov. I'll link it in the show notes. But in case you have trouble finding, we've, we've linked it previously, but in case you have trouble finding our show notes or you don't know how to do that, it's, I'm just going to give everybody the download on everybody what this ordinance is and what it says. So it's an, an emergency ordinance is what they call it. And it's ordinance number one nine zero four seven eight and it was introduced. What's so interesting to me is you were quoting the ordinance language to Dan Ryan. Do you know who it was introduced by? Dan Ryan. So who the hell wrote this thing? These are either his own words or his staffer's words prepared by Mark Bond. It was prepared on June 22nd, 2021, and they made changes and it's, it came into effect June 30th, 2021. And here's, here's what it says, what, what it's, It doesn't really have a title. It's some long convoluted, the the bolded part where the title of the ordinance would be is some long convoluted paragraph, but I'll just say what it says. It says, amend office of the Chief Administrative Officer Code to direct the Office of Management and Finance in the city's response. I mean, this is just, this would put anybody into a coma. The city's response to houselessness and urban camping related to the development of safe rest villages as alternatives to high-impact encampments They're amending code, subsection 3.15.060.C.6. In this ordinance, now it was passed by City Council. In this ordinance, this is exactly what it says. I'm going to read pieces of it verbatim. Section 1. Section 1. Fourth paragraph says, City of Portland has experienced a significant increase in its unsheltered, houseless population in the past decade, many who of whom live in tents, makeshift structures, vehicles, and other places not meant for human habitation. We're still in Section 1, and just skipping a fair amount of it, because this thing is lengthy and unnecessarily filled with verbiage. but. Paragraph 15 of section 1 says, safe rest villages are outdoor shelters, which provide baseline services such as sanitation, hygiene, case management, security, and most importantly, dignity and stability. Uh, 16, council has directed city bureaus to provide a list of surplus city property for use as outdoor shelters by June 30th, 2021. Outdoor shelters on city property will be known as safe safe rest villages. Now, moving down through the code is where we get to the really, really good stuff. So they define in section, let's see. Then there's a section of the ordinance where it says, now therefore the council directs colon, and it explains exactly what the council is going to do. So it says in subsection B, The Impact Reduction Program will refer persons residing in high-impact encampments to safe rest villages when available and will assist said person's relocation to safe rest villages. Referral to a safe rest village is voluntary for the referred person and the referral decision is not a factor in the determination of the impact reduction program under Directive C of this ordinance. So then we find out what low impact and high impact means, but one question that I have is, what is, okay, impact reduction program, who are these people? So they explain that to, city relies on the homelessness an urban camping impact reduction program, acting on behalf of the Office of the Chief Administrative Officer at the Office of Management and Finance to coordinate interventions in high-impact encampments on city-owned properties and rights of way within the city of Portland. Who I Now, one thing I want to do after we're done with this is I want to research who's on that. And I'm dying to know if it's some some goofball organization that we're paying, or organizations, or if they're City employees, I don't know, but I'm going to research that. Oh, so, I, I don't oh, know who these people are. It's another
1: nonprofit, it's another nonprofit that starts getting millions of dollars. Uh, it probably is. I'm so, that, sure that would be the impact
0: them. reduction program. So, the impact right. reduction program decides they're the one they, they are the people who decide who in a quote unquote high impact encampment should go into a safe rest village. Now, how do we determine high impact encampment? Well, the ordinance tells us. The terms is the subsection C. The terms low impact and high impact are defined by the standard operating procedures of the impact reduction program as may be amended from time to time and are based on observed conditions and risk posed. Now that's ominous. Risk posed at a given location. The impact reduction program will conduct removals of high impact encampments only after exhausting other attempts to reduce Impacts. So these are people who have already been tangling with various city authorized service people and are still service resistant. Encampments are classified as high impact through a combination of factors, including, but not limited to, and here we go. So these are the people, ladies and gentlemen, listen up, that are moving into a neighborhood near you. Thank you, city council, and most importantly, Dan Ryan. Here, here they are. Here are the people. Now remember, these people that I'm about to, these, this criteria I'm about to give you, this is already after these people who fit this criteria have been tangling with city people and still refusing services. So here they go. Evidence of conspicuous drug use, paraphernalia, or improperly disposed of syringes. These are people coming to a neighborhood near you folks. Impact on neighborhood livability as measured by the amount of uncontained debris. Again, these are the people that they're moving to your neighborhood. They are people who are already in neighborhoods and who the city is acknowledging are destroying the livability of that neighborhood because there's garbage everywhere.
1: Those of you who live in Portland, you need to be educating your woke neighbors your neighbors who are following this closely and are relying on the misleading statements that Dan Ryan and his cohorts are making when they keep saying only referrals, only referrals. What you need to understand what this is gonna look like is that their plan is to go into the most dangerous camps with the highest amount of police contact and fighting and drugs and whatever and say, hey, we have this village, we have a pod for you to go to, You know, we'll give you a referral. So either they go and they don't have any rules or any barriers to going to this village, including sobriety, or they say, no, I'm not going to go. The city refuses to say what is going to happen at that point. So if they say, no, I'm not going to go, is the city going to say, Well, then you need to leave and we're gonna trespass you and so if you come back again, blah blah blah. Or is the city gonna do nothing? I would guess the city's gonna do nothing.
0: Well and Uh, we know they're gonna do nothing because if they were ordered to do something, it would be in this ordinance or in some other ordinance. It would be written down what the next in fact it would it would most logically be in the ordinance one nine zero four seven eight because it would direct what
1: to do next. Right, and, and so I have been for months trying to get the city to answer my, my one and only question, which is assuming you're successful in clearing one of these high-impact camps because you get everyone into the village or whatever, what are you going to do to prevent new people or the same people from returning a week or two later? Ryan refused to answer my question he kept responding with a different answer. I mean, a completely illogical answer. What was the answer? So I, I kept pushing. And uh, the admin or the moderator got upset with me. And I will admit, I started to lose my patience. And I feel like I sounded a little shrill, which we've already talked about. Um, but the, the, here is what I want your listeners to, to know. When I kept trying to address high-impact camps, Dan Ryan accused me of coining that term in a derogatory way. He said, and there's a record of this meeting on YouTube, he said, What do you call it? What, what, what are you calling it? He doesn't even know what's in his own ordinance. It, 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 it shocks the country. So Dan, Dan Ryan actually, berated you yeah. for
0: using the term in yeah. his own ordinance, high impact That's encampment. Right. And that's the term in Dan right. Ryan's own ordinance 190478, introduced by Commissioner Dan
1: Ryan. That's right. And I will tell you that in another context, I emailed the downtown neighborhood association people to see if they had any information about this, because they seem to be sort of in the trenches. She replied and copied all of the safe rest staff on the email, and you could tell. That they had been kept in the dark, and she was very, very frustrated. I then replied later on, and it was clear that she and the the association did not know about the high-impact plan. They were misled, like the rest of us, thinking that this was going to be a referral from Central City, concern, from somebody who's engaged in services and is ready to change their life. It couldn't be further from the truth. It's the exact opposite of what makes sense. We were all thinking that, okay, we realize that there are people that need our help, and we support that, and they're showing that they're ready. Shouldn't they be getting these these tiny houses? No. Well, honestly, everybody needs our help.
0: Even the people who aren't ready need our help with incentives to get ready.
1: With accountability and with consequences, because most people that I've talked to who are recovering addicts or who are homeless, uh, have said to me that really the only way they were able to turn it around was because there were consequences and there was accountability and not, you know, they were motivated not to want to go to jail, back to jail.
0: But Jennifer, um, I think the listeners and, have to know your job involves working with addicts and homeless people, does it not? It does. So you're on the front it lines does. with these people. I just want to make sure the listeners know that you're not speaking out of your ass, that you, you're dealing with these people every day. You're helping them. You're tasked with helping them. That's your job.
1: Yes. And the people that I help would be mortified if they were associated, if people try to associate them with what we're witnessing and seeing, you know, all over our, our city. Not that they haven't been there at some point, but, uh, I feel very fortunate that I get the opportunity to, you know, at least, uh, you know, partially be there to support people who are those who have turned it around. And oh my God, I mean, I have amazing stories of redemption and transformation. And um, but we're we'll putting all of our money and resources on out-of-state people who don't want, um, who are service resistant and not ready. And this is what I want to point out. So this is how just unbelievably incompetent the city council is. They have not yet hired anybody to run these proposed villages. And there is not a single village of the six that that is up and running. Uh, two have already been shot down. They're not gonna happen because one was on a floodplain. The other, the property owner PPS said no. Thankfully for once, PPS said something right. Yeah. And that neighborhood, My heart broke for them because that neighborhood had experienced the worst of of some of these problems. But they haven't chosen a, a provider. During the meeting, they had a guy, very impressive guy, who was once homeless, who runs a bunch of homeless shelters all over the state, who they're talking to about possibly managing. So this was announced in June. Why haven't they been meeting with, contracting with providers to run these camps? So it, you know, it could be all for nothing. What he's yeah, this was like six months part. and
0: change ago that they that oh, this yeah, ordinance came so. down. That they've been saying they're going to roll this out, and not a single one's right. been rolled out. And they don't even have anybody to monitor these things.
1: No, and why? I you know, I find it strange. They've known about this organization because they run what was the Wapato Jail program. And why why is it just now that the guy is saying? Well, you know, we're talking, we hopefully we can agree to a, uh, that is, you know, I don't know, weird, but what he said in response to a question was the reason they have a low barrier portion of their program, and they have, the bigger part of their program is high barrier people that want help and there's accountability and there's rules and, and they help them transition all the this way out. This is the guy so that, who
0: testified, uh, this is his program? Yeah. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Who, who in theory, if, if they work out the contract, will be running these programs. He said the reason they have a small low-barrier portion of their program is to basically quickly flesh out who it makes sense to invest in and who it doesn't. Interesting. So, it, it, so it, it, that's, that's what... But know, I
0: think the problem is this law... Doesn't allow the man who testified, who actually works with these people, who may be in charge of running these places. This man is saying we need to flesh out who is who will accept services from who the truly service resistant is, and are. And the problem with this law is it the quote unquote safe rush shelters are meant to serve as a holding tank for these high-impact, quote-unquote, I'm using Ordinance 190478's language introduced by Dan Ryan, high-impact homeless people, and I just got to keep going through this bullet point list because it's going to blow people's minds. These are the people they are moving into your neighborhoods. Evidence of conspicuous drug use paraphernalia or improperly disposed of syringes. Impact on neighborhood livability as measured by the amount of uncontained debris. Proximity to school, park with playground, or private residence. Environmental impact on natural areas and or the presence of hazardous materials. Again, people that are being purposefully moved into your neighborhoods. Restriction of access as defined in the Americans with Disabilities Act standards. That means people who are splayed out on the sidewalk so that somebody in a wheelchair can't get down it. It's all over downtown. It's all over every quadrant in the city. So that's what that means. It means they, they've been tangling with the city numerous times when the city tries to clear the sidewalk and they won't leave. So these are the people they're bringing into your neighborhood. Restriction, uh, we did that one. Restriction of access is defined by the ADA. Areas that are posted, no trespassing. Size of camp. Verified reports of violence or criminal activity other than camping. Violence or criminal activity. They don't define violence or criminal activity. So it could be as minimal as drug, well, in this state. It could be as minimal as drug manufacturing, like a meth lab in an RV, or as serious as a sexual offense or a rape in a camp. Blocking public access, restricting maintenance activities. Now, here, here's another good part that I don't think a lot of our listeners understand. They also make it legal in this ordinance, 190478, introduced by Dan Ryan. It is law in the city of Portland. They start, the next set of paragraphs is making it legal to camp within a certain amount of feet away from a door a residential door, a door of a business, or a school. And here we go. Listen to the teeny tiny amounts of space that tents have to be kept from doors of schools and homes. One, at least 150 feet away from any public, private, or parochial preschool, elementary, or secondary school other than a high school. So the high schoolers, they can handle the sex offenders and the drug dealers and the rapists and the chop shops. But we're going to make sure that those camps are 150 feet away from a preschool, elementary or secondary school. 150 feet, folks, is not a lot. It's not, it's not a lot of space. So that's legal. As long as you're 150 feet away from a preschool, you can set up shop, set up camp. 150 feet away from a child care facility or preschool recorded program. Okay. Again, go ahead, set up camp, but just be 150 feet away from a childcare facility or a preschool recorded program, at least hundred feet away from a high school. Now see, that's why they didn't clear the camp up right adjacent to the Cleveland high school track that was spilling over the sidewalk into Cleveland grounds that kids had to walk past every day. They didn't clear it because it it was more than 100 feet away from the building itself, and so it wasn't able to be cleared under this ordinance just for its proximity alone. It has to meet all these other criteria of the high-impact encampment to be cleared. So if you want to set up shop, 100 feet away from any high school within the city of Portland, you feel free to do that. Set up your camp outside a designated environmental overlay zone, natural area, scenic overlay zone, or flood hazard area as adopted by the city. Outside a wildfire hazard area. Here's here's another good one. 50 feet away from the property lines of a developed park. So there you go, Laurelhurst Park. Well, as long as you're 50 feet away from the property line of that park, you can set up as many tents as you want. Here's a good one. 10 feet away from the entrance to a residential structure. Unless said structure is a childcare facility or a preschool. So if you're in a home, you best start a preschool out of your home. You best start doing that. Because that's the only way to keep an encampment more than 10 feet away from your home. If you want them 150 feet away, you better set up a preschool or a child care center inside your home. Or your, or your apartment, or your townhouse. Okay.
1: Yeah. And, I, and I, wanna, I wanna be clear before you get attacked on Twitter or get nasty emails, um, you know, as we know that a lot of people in Portland don't really understand nuance, they don't understand that issues is are complex. Uh, and and I, I think I'm speaking for you. We both are adamantly in support of our tax money programs, volunteerism. Uh, that makes sense in help, for helping people that uh, are ready. And, but a- anybody will tell you, I, I, I will, this is my hill to die on, there is nothing you can do, nothing, uh, to get an addict to change until they are ready to change. You can uh, provide incentives. You can provide consequences, which are found to really make a difference and you can provide support and services and advocates and all of that, but they will go to any NA meeting. And, and you know, everyone should go to an NA meeting at some point in their life because it's really eye-opening. And, you know, the the stories you hear are amazing stories of redemption and transformation. But um, ask someone who's in the 12-step program. Say, hey, have you seen situations where uh, people who weren't ready to get clean did so because of anything else. And they'll, and they'll say absolutely not, including themselves. Um, this program, you know, Sam Adams made a deal with the devil that still didn't pan out because um, rightfully so, every neighborhood association is going to fight tooth and nail to prevent these low-barrier camps. Uh, and and low-barrier is important. People need to understand this. I have heard Dan Lyons say, directly on two different occasions on two different town halls they have no intention or plan of screening anybody that his brilliant idea is that if somebody's on probation the probation officer will manage and decide whether or not they should be there you're putting aside the fact that there are millions of people who have responded from other states that probation isn't acting at full capacity right now it's it's just insane to think that the probation department is going to be tasked with monitoring uh, the risk of this uh, village. And, and before someone accuses me of, of being a nimby, I want to remind you of all the instances all over this city where neighbors have fought tooth and nail to prevent a sex offender uh, group home from going into their neighborhood. So uh, if you call what I'm saying being a nimby, well, you're a bigger nimby <laughs> For that, my friend, Um, I am opposed to this because it is an insane, nonsensical program that is destined to be a disaster. The fact that Dan Ryan does not even know what his own ordinance says, the fact that this was a negotiated deal to appease uh, the big law firms, the fact that they have not thought through how they're going to prevent these camps from springing back up or how they're going to prevent people from continuing to come here from out of state, because they know this is how they can live. This is nothing is going to change. Not to mention the fact that they've been getting this set up for six, seven months. In the meantime, what are they doing? What are they doing about all the, the, the growing camps, the growing tents, they're not doing anything. Nothing. I mean, they make a big deal out of announcing a press release that they're going to clear one camp. And what happens? They finally do it, and they send everybody to Sunnyside, and the four residents of Sunnyside, including my sister, now get to deal with it. It is shameful, and it is inhumane to allow people to live like this.
0: Well, and I, th- I, th- I think we need to examine... <laughs> We, we need to analyze the bizarre way that this NIMBY argument has morphed into the idea that you're a shitbag if you don't want a tent. By, by the way, guess where else they can go? Tents can be, tents are legal to erect as long as they're at least 10 feet away from the primary interest, entrance or emergency exit of any business or commercial property. There you go. So 10 feet away from a door of your home and 10 feet away from a business. So like a smoker, that's a, that's just, and we can smell the cigarette smoke going in and that's how close they get to stay. And so the idea uh-huh. that this NIMBY argument has become, has gone from something like you're a shitbag because you don't want were people living near you, which I think is a right. completely separate discussion from or totally. a shit bag because you don't want somebody in a tent who lives near you is insane because what the data says and what common sense says if you drive around the city or look at the people living in the tents and what they're doing is that these are addicts and mentally ill people who have absolutely reached the point that their lives are unmanageable, period, or else they wouldn't be in a tent. We interviewed Susan in the Living on the Edge episode on this podcast. I encourage everybody to listen to that. Susan Griffin, fabulous resident of the city of Portland. Susan is an addict who is disabled has not worked in years, and she is housed, because her life is not unmanageable. Now, she talked about many people she knew, including a girlfriend of hers, a, a, lo- a lover that she had, she's lesbian, whose life did become unmanageable, and was unhoused, because you can house yourself if your life is manageable, it, it, despite being poor, Despite being unemployed, despite being disabled, despite being an addict, Susan is all of those things, and she's never been unhoused. You don't need to be unhoused if you're, serve, if you're not service-resistant. And you're not service-resistant if your life is not unmanageable, because you have the ability to recognize that you need help. But once you're, in, you're so deep down, at your, substance abuse or mental illness hold that you can't even recognize that you're living in a tent under the Burnside Bridge. You need something more than a pod where services, Dan Ryan's saying they will be available, let's just give him the benefit of the doubt, where services will be quote-unquote available. I mean, what you need is somebody to, to triage you. I mean, these, these people are live, living in a tent, defecating outside, urinating outside, using drugs in, in just an unmitigated way in public, throwing needles everywhere, throwing garbage everywhere. The, the, yeah, I don't want that 10 feet away from my door. And the idea that I'm a shitbag nimby because I don't want somebody running a bicycle chop shop 10 feet away from... My residential door where I'm raising two little kids is insane and it's clearly being propagated by these antifa 20 year olds who live in their parents' basement who who, wanna, oh, who, yeah. oh, who well, want who want this oh, idea to spread around that these are just these people in tents are functional people and we're all two steps away from it
1: right no that, right. That, right.
0: Susan is proof that that is she's just one anecdotal example but she's a great example of why that's not true the services are there if you want it if you lose your job especially right now there's a there's a eviction moratorium there's tons of money and checks you can get there's tons of assistance that you can get you just need to 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 want it all you need to do is ask for it and the city will give it to you we're we're building i just talked to a contractor we're building three hundred thousand dollar apartments on the riverbank with 180 degree views for service resistant people. This is no barrier entry. These are people who don't want help. So believe me, if you want that's for people who don't want help. So believe me, if you want help, you can get it. The idea that you you just you're not able to get it is silly now will it be difficult will detoxing be a complete effing nightmare that nobody in their right mind would ever want to go through of course but that's why you need an incentive to get there because it's hell nobody wants to detox it's more hell than living in a tent and shitting all over yourself i get it believe me but let's get you out of the tent get you to start stop shitting on yourself and get you a life back out of a tent Let's not make it legal yeah. for you to camp 10 feet away from a door of a home with two little kids in it. Right. That's insane. I'm not a NIMBY. Yeah. I want these people housed and I don't care if they are housed right. next door to me, but I, I want them thriving before they're actually housed next door to me because it's not, it doesn't help me or them if they're next door to me running a bicycle chop shop and smoking crack. No. Well,
1: and the other thing, reason that people should check out an NA meeting at some point in their life is that. People who are, who are in recovery, who have been in recovery for a long time, they, they have no problems about sharing every detail, every bad fact of their life. And when you hear what, what someone who's been clean for 10 years or five years and, and you look at them and see them and what, all that they're accomplishing now, when you hear where they were, the, sh- the kind of shit they did, the criminal histories. Uh, and that they overcame multiple felony convictions and being an addict and living in a tent and uh, having their family to phone them. Um, it, it does. It, but I, I have one of my favorite people in the world who, oh, you have to meet him sometime. You have, you have to have him on the show. That'd be He great. would be an amazing guest. That uh, he will look you in the eye and say to you, I put recovery before anything else in my life. Even my kids, and he feels no shame about that. Well, because he, he has you.
0: to. He knows in order to be That's a good right. dad to his kids, he has to be
1: sober. That's right. And this man, I would give, I would give him all of my passwords and my ATM code. Um, I, I, I would, I would trust him with my child. Um, and he was a ride or die, ripping and running. You know. 20-something-year meth addict who had a horrible childhood uh, and gets mad at me when I bring that up because he's like, everyone's got that childhood. Like, I, I don't want to – I'm not going to make excuses. So what we, want, we want to help where we can, and we support that. We just don't want this stupid idea that isn't going to work. The other thing that's so arrogant about our city – uh commissioners, which uh actually Jordan Fitzer touched on when he was interviewed, is the arrogance that in all of the prior administrations, the administration that the commissioners would seek out input and guidance from business leaders, from recovery experts, from uh our lawyers. They would want collaboration because they realize I you know, I'm not I, I you know I don't have a degree in city planning or any of this. Now, what they will say, and Ryan said it last Thursday, we're not here to ask you if we can put this in your neighborhood. We're here to tell you that that that? we're putting it in your neighborhood. Yes. It's actually his aide is quoted in one of the articles. I'll try to find it and send it to you and put it in the notes. Oh, my God. His 20-something-year-old emo aide told a hundred and something... uh, Homeowners in a neighborhood where they are hoping to put one of these in—that this is just a courtesy. They're not interested in input, and they're not going to do anything that's asked of them, uh, like screening or you know any of that. So, uh, and Dan Ryan—I don't know if you you've listened to him in depth. No, He's a really arrogant guy. Yeah, I don't uh, want I'm Dan Ryan speaking. mansplaining anything to me. Oh yeah. So during this meeting, he started by telling everybody that he had a hard th- out in 45 minutes because of a family commitment, which he said the exact same thing at the last town hall I listened to. He started by saying that he had a hard out because of an 8 p.m. family commitment, although the last one, he he changed his mind and wouldn't take any questions. So that was the one. The second one thing was that he let everybody know that he'd be eating during uh, the town hall, And so if he went off screen, that's why. This is how much he cares about his constituents. And as you pointed out, his bosses, he works for us. And this is how he treats you. So if you're listening to this and you think that we've gone red pill and that you've listened to it so you can, you know, just complain about us to your friends, I don't know you. You don't know me. Stop for a second and let that, like, settle into your head, what I'm telling you. About Regardless of where you are politically, is that the kind of uh, political leader that you want to elect in Portland that's going to eat uh, during his meeting and find excuses to end early and then not answer your question? He was, he was so pissed at me. He was so arrogant. Oh, I could go on for this for days. You, yeah, you I'm, perceived I'm,
0: that he was mad at you because you were trying to get him to answer your question about who was going to be monitoring these places?
1: Yes. The example I, I, I gave someone else about how insane his responses were to all the questions were as if someone said, um, you know, what are you going to do about parking meters going up in price so much? They're really expensive now. And him responding saying, the city is so excited that we've teamed with an organization that's going to start fixing problems. <laughs> That's how disconnected his responses were. I, it, and then and then he would take it to one of these aides who, yeah. uh, I'm not trying to be ageist, but man, they look young, um, <laughs> who would kind of answer, but didn't, I mean, one of his aides said, I mean, who I'm sure is, you know, this is the kind of kid that calls 90-year-olds by their first name and thinks he's people and does the OK Boomer thing. Uh, but he said uh, that, uh, and I'm 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 summarizing. But he was he expressly said, we're not here to ask if we can do this in your neighborhood. We're here to tell you that we're going to do it in your neighborhood as a courtesy.
0: Well, yeah, because the law is there, and they're allowed to do it. I mean, they. This the ordinance says they can. They're they're doing this. It's ordinance one nine zero four seven eight introduced by Dan Ryan that says that they can move "quote unquote" high impact people into your neighborhood, and in fact, uh, the high impact people are defined as people who've already tangled with the city, who are unwilling to engage in services or engage with the city's. Uh, it. it The city's trying to get them to help clean up some of these encampments in any way. They're unwilling to do it, and there are people engaged in, and this is a quote from Ordinance 190478, introduced by Dan Ryan. There are people engaged in conspicuous drug use, improperly disposed of syringes, have destroyed neighborhood livability. Neighborhood livability is a quote, is measured by the amount of, quote, uncontained debris, unquote. These are people engaged in... With hazardous materials, quote unquote. These are people who have taken over sidewalks to the extent that somebody with a disability can't use it. That the size of the camp is so large that it's completely unmanageable. Verified reports of violence or criminal activity. That's my favorite. These are people who have engaged in, in criminal activity and violence that has been reported and verified as reported and verified as criminal activity and violence. These are the people they're moving to these quote unquote safe rest villages in your neighborhoods, high impact homeless. That is who no, is, is going to your neighborhood. And it's just, nobody understands it. And Dan Ryan either doesn't know that he does. He either, it doesn't know what his own ordinance says. So he's either stupid or he's pretending not to know what his own ordinance says. He's lying. Right.
1: And, and at that, I mean, How misleading can you get by, you know, until you told me a few months ago, I was under the impression that the referrals were going to be, you know, one of the, and and, because they used the word referral
0: on purpose. They used it on purpose to, to make everybody assume, which we did because we're, we want to assume the best of everybody to make everybody assume that these were people who wanted to accept services, who had been in touch with a social services worker, and that that worker was then going to refer this person to one of these safe rest shelters so they, they could get uh-huh. said services. Uh-huh. I think I'm the only person in the city who had read this ordinance. I mean, I had all these neighbors happy. talking about how they were supporting it. They, they were happy. I mean, this bullshit about how we're NIMBYs, we're not. I mean, everybody I know, including myself, would have been in support of one of these places going in in their neighborhood if it was filled with people who were willing to accept services and who were engaged in using those services. Nobody I I know has a problem with that. Nobody Nobody. I know.
1: No, and it was... No, and I mean, I I talked to a man in the Hill neighborhood, and and thankfully, CPS denied the city um, uh, the youth of the village and I don't know this man he was in tears out of just frustration out of just constant fear for his family he had multiple times someone had pooped in his front yard um, and obviously you can tell the difference between human species and dog species uh, he was so I was so happy for those neighbors when they found out I, I, I could tell I mean you know it, it and then people are are doing this whole well, why don't we move them into the neighborhood? you know um we we don't want this to happen to any neighborhood i I think I've said before on your podcast that uh the, the oh, these should these the these criminal, high
0: impact homeless should not be anywhere near anybody else period no, no, the violent murder, the, the, crime, murder. people engaged in violent crime. I mean, is a reasonable person really going to make the argument that people engaged in verified reports of violent crime should be moved into in neighborhoods? Because that's what they're doing by, by dismissing people like you and me who are complaining about this and calling us NIMBYs. They're, they're trying to argue that people engaged in ve- what has been reported and verified violent crime should be moved into neighborhoods with kids. And families. Right. And people just trying to get to
1: work every day. And Forget it. the only it. time our media, the only time our media will report on it is if it's an opportunity to make wealthy people look bad, like what the Willamette Week are. Okay, that's the only reason Well, and all, all those Laurelhurst
0: arguments. All those, all, they love, they love reporting on the Laurelhurst camps because the yes. people housed at,
1: every,
0: at Laurelhurst yes. every are Laurel in nice homes.
1: Every, every, every Laurelhurst article I read was Laurelhurst, a wealthy enclave. Right, right. Um, and, that's, and, that's the, and that's the other question I have is that, you know, on this last town hall, it's funny because I shared the link with people in this group I'm with that we kind of keep each other informed. And so my name was like 12 times listed um, on this. Uh, on the Zoom, but you could see who the participants were, and there were news channels on the Zoom. And I, well, I keep asking myself, why are, why isn't our media telling the truth and covering these stories? The Oregonian seems to get more and more uh, on the side of uh You know, shame on everybody and these poor people, they just need help and they're not getting help. The only thing I've seen the Oregonian do, at at least, is publish opinion uh, uh, articles or statements from people about this. Uh, But but they're not reporting on it. Why isn't the Oregonian telling the truth? Why isn't COIN, who's done a lot of in-depth stories about the homeless problem and it's Portland dead. Why aren't you telling the truth? Why aren't you having a legal analyst on your shows who can explain what we're explaining in case people don't believe us or they think that we're lying?
0: Well, why aren't they reporting on the ordinance? All you have to do, you don't even even have to be a legal analyst. All you have to do is be literate. Any literate person could read, can find, read this ordinance and understand what the city has just legalized and in fact mandated. It says, and I want to be really clear about this. Uh, be, I, don't want, I don't want anybody dancing around this. It's, it literally says that, that they must, it says that high impact homeless must be referred to the safe rest shelters. It's mandated. The impact will refer, now listen to this, the impact reduction program will refer persons residing in high-impact encampments to safe rest villages. So
1: they're directed to do that. And, and they did this knowing, they did that, Sam Adams said it himself in that meeting, they did this knowing, but they, you know, that they'd made a deal with the devil. And I, you know, no, why isn't anyone... A following up on that article and finding out, did these law firms stay downtown? Did, are any of them pulling out? And what did he mean by saying that he's going to need the law firms' help on this because neighbors or residents aren't going to be happy? What are what are law firms supposed to do? The what the other insulting thing that Ryan said and his staff said in this thing last week is, you know, everybody needs to do their part. Oh and my it's god! Like, what? Everyone, first of all, you haven't done a fucking thing.
0: It's his job. Everybody needs to do what? No, every. We're trying to get to work so we can pay taxes that fund your salary and all these programs. We're supposed to take on other tasks too. Like what? What exactly Uh, do you want us to do that you're tasked
1: with, Dan? But I—that's exactly why. That's so insulting. Insulting, and and not to mention the fact. But what are they they doing all day? Because in the meantime, wouldn't you think they're like, okay, we're still waiting to find out. And let's be clear. So right now, only one location is even a maybe. And that's being contested by the neighborhood. Which one is that? It's the armory. And this is why. There's a legitimate reason, in addition to the concerns of of, uh, high-impact camps, that is a federal facility that was supposed to be used for West side emergency management stuff, because there's not, if there was an earthquake or a major weather event, everything's on the East side. If something happened where we couldn't access, you know, the bridges. Mm. Um, so not only are they taking that away, uh, but the deed of that facility is very specific in what it can be used for, which is why, the homeless shelter they did have a few years ago could only be there for six months because they made a six-month exception. But the deed does not even remotely imply that what they're planning on using it for uh, is encompassed within the intent of the deed. And so the Neighborhood Association has asked FEMA to review the proposal. And if FEMA says no, then that, that site's also dead. And that means that Six, seven, eight months later, they have not cleared a single uh, camp. They have not done anything to get people off the streets and, you know, horribly freezing, terrible weather. And they're literally back at square one with nothing to show for it. And, and why are we not demanding more? I, I, I don't understand. I, I, and I'm happy. This is kind of my help to die on, as you know, because I love Portland and it breaks my heart to see what's happening. And I, my family's been here for a long time. But my hope is that what's happened on Next Door will continue, which is that Portlanders are getting educated about the truth, about the truth of who the population is we're seeing on the street, the truth of the city's plan and lack thereof, uh, because with education, as we know, comes power. And I really... I'm hoping that everybody that listens to your podcast will start paying attention and writing letters and opposing things and speaking up because that's the only way that we're going to get anything done.
0: Well, and, and spread the word about ordinance one nine zero four seven eight yeah. introduced by Dan Ryan that moves quote unquote high impact homeless into your neighborhood because in, in the Willamette Week article that we'll also link in the show notes, why are they moving them in there? Because they want the law firms who employ thousands of people to return, make their employees come back to downtown to spend money and get the restaurants open. And let, let us add
1: that city employees are still not back at their offices. The yeah. city wants... The we should link time. that, too. The city
0: employees have not been ordered, and I'll I'll link to this in the show notes, too. City in employees still have years. not been
1: ordered to return to work. Two years. Two years. They're not even going to their offices. Two years. Only, only the city employees who are, you know, the frontline people, the people that have to deal with, you know, uh, uh, road hazards and things like that, but... The rest of them, I mean, I'm not trying to be, like, uh, uppity here, but what exactly, like, are receptionists for the city, like, doing, you know, or or clerical workers, what are they doing at home? I mean, how, how does, what does that look like? Are they doing, are they doing any work? (laughs) I mean, have they laid in And who are they off? accountable are
0: they- to? And how are they keeping them accountable? And why aren't they, right. why are they answering, why aren't they providing updates to taxpayers about what is going, home with all these, going on with all these people at home? That's right. That we're paying That's to right. stay I'm- home, to not come back to work.
1: And I will tell you, it would be a hell of a lot less scary when I have to go downtown for work to know that there were people there when I, you know, with my keys in my hand, either run or, or fast walk from my car to where I'm going, because i it is it is scary and it's empty, and so you're even more vulnerable as a woman. when you know you know that there's no one across the street that's going to come running um, if someone goes off on you, and uh, I've had a lot of close calls, and I mean, you know your husband has had has to deal directly with unwell people who have broken into his office. Oh yeah. Um,
0: you know it's numerous, numerous separate there's incidents. Nothing
1: there's there's nothing I mean we we have a mutual friend who was joking because she was entertaining some kind of big players from out of town and uh, you know, not that, I mean I love Pastini, don't get me wrong. We get we all the time, but you know, you might not want to do the past anything when you're trying to like schmooze someone and get their business and whatever because there's nothing left downtown. Um, it's so sad. And then there are these people that keep trying to convince everybody that Portland's fine but feel compelled to write these tweet, tweets. Oh, it was downtown yesterday. It was right. Fine. It was beautiful. It
0: was beautiful. People were spending money like crazy. I don't know. I don't know what these mega people are talking about that
1: say that Portland's dying. I on next door, someone had posted that there are these still these nutjob churches that protest in front of PSU. You know, with like you know, God hates bad shit. And I couldn't. I was like, that's still happening. And I said, you know, I mean, is that that, true? Oh, yeah, true. it's true. and and my daughter was like, "Oh yeah, they're there all the like time." Like Westboro and, Baptist type people. Yes, yes, like that, like an iteration of that.
0: Oh, fascinating! I, said, I didn't even know that.
1: I didn't either, and I said, it "Why was, aren't it's crazy. people covering that? That would be interesting." Well, I don't know, and I said, "You know, it's one of the few issues uh, that virtually everybody, regardless of political affiliation, no, now yeah, is no on the right reasonable
0: person supports the Westboro Baptist Church." I yes, mean, they support their right to say what they want to say but i i think most reasonable person people support that but i i i don't think any reasonable person believes quote unquote god hates
1: fags no i i don't and i don't i certainly don't (laughs) no and and so this man replied and said you're right he he said me and my very conservative friends are all you know pro i always get it wrong lbq um, you know, we, LGBTQ there, and, and, plus. Yeah, and he said, and let's be real, um, Portland has much bigger issues to worry about than this. Oh, interesting. Um,
0: well, nobody in, and, I mean, Portland, I, I wouldn't worry about trying to convince Portland's populace that Westboro Baptist is off its rocker. I mean, the, the, that's just assumed that they understand that. I mean, that's, that's one of the few reasonable things that I think everybody in Portland can agree on
1: i I agree, and it's great, but that's you know you know i wasn't, i mean i mean I'm old, but i'm not that old, and when I went to college, it was still very common for people to regularly use like horrible you know names referring to gays and lesbians, but to be vehemently and publicly outspokenly against it against gay marriage against um so we have i mean uh, faithfully on the, in the last 20, 25 years, seeing this, you know, the right side of history happen. But anyways, I got on a, on a tangent. Um, no, that was talk interesting. About the, yeah, it was interesting. And I've never seen, and I drive by CSU all the time and I, and my office is right by there and I've never seen it. It must be a weekend thing.
0: Oh, and I guess um, I've, I wanted to make sure I answered some questions that I received at, oh, yeah. Uh, Rational in PDX on Twitter. That's our Twitter handle for the, sh- for the Rational in Portland show. So you can find us on Twitter at Rational in PDX. And of course, this is the former Walla Moms pod. And we're now at Rational in PDX uh, post our rebranding. But I did get a question. What is the definition of high impact homeless? And that was from MSTED, M-S-T-E-D-3. And I'm glad we answered that. And then Superfan Colonel William Ludlow on Twitter at O R X underscore not underscore C-R-A-K-E asked, are there any lawsuits or court proceedings underway by citizens to stop implementation of the permanent mask mandate? And but you said you thought there were, right, Jennifer? I
1: know, I, I know that in New York. Um, I I think I said why aren't we doing this here? Um, on a lot of levels. But I I'm aware of an organization. I don't know much about them, so don't, you know, go ballistic on Karen saying they're super right wing that seems to be uh, it's sort of organized in trying to fight the permanent mass, but I don't know of any current plans um to uh, to to bring an injunction, I think it will have to be some sort of business-based group where the masks really impact um, businesses. A woman who spoke early in the OEC hearing or at the OEK hearing, she was very very articulate and did a great job of articulating why this mandate has such a big impact what on did various industries and businesses. But despite that, despite that, I'm hearing now over 300 people spoke, I, I know at least 125 people spoke, every single person who spoke, despite what the media said, that there were some neutrals, there was not a single neutral speaker, every single person that spoke spoke out asking to end the mask mandate. And, we heard dads who broke down crying, describing that the fact that their children have never not worn a mask. Um, these are dads,
0: that, like men dads, who are crying, yeah.
1: These are dads who live in Southeast Portland who are uh, traditionally, I would guess, vote less and are Democrats. Uh, and as I have said, uh, COVID... Is is doing for the right what no one else could, in that uh, people have become single issue voters who will no longer stand by and watch the Democrats, you know, destroy their kids' childhoods. Um, But multiple dads, and it it was clear that these are guys who are not normally don't sign up to speak at a public hearing. And for people Uh, who would
0: laugh at the phrase "destroy their kids' childhoods," what did they describe? was happening to their kids who were
1: permanently masked. They, they talk about how in their younger kids when this is the critical time to learn you know, crucial uh, you know, social uh, communication, verbal communication, that they are way behind developmentally than their, their siblings because of what the mask does. They talk about just the sanitary issue with a little one being, you know, in a mask all day who already doesn't wipe their nose. I mean, we all know what little, little ones don't, you know, don't know how to deal with hygiene effectively. Uh, kids having to play sports in masks, which frankly, I can't imagine. I mean, I, I don't know that I would be able to exercise with a mask on, or at least cardio. Um, uh, there was a doctor who spoke, an MD, not a, you know, not someone who uses doctors. She was an MD. Uh, there were multiple medical professionals who had the data and the facts, and they were able to explain why it doesn't do anything at theater, um, you know, that, uh, were, you know, things are going down. Everyone gets Omicron, regardless of, whether you're uh, vaccinated or not. Um, I was so impressed by the level of, you know, the amount of effort and energy people put in preparing. One woman I thought very poignantly pointed out that OEAA did not broadly publicize this public hearing. people had to find out by word of mouth and then schedule it in the middle of the work week, in the middle of a work day. So that people have to take time off from work if they want to be able to speak. Why would they do that? I, you know, I, that, that, that just doesn't make it sense. I, I will say, in their, to their credit, they did let, I think, every last speaker speak because uh, my understanding is the first day it was seven hours and I think they may have gone into the next day. Um, but there was not a single person, oh, Here's an important one. Two different people that have substantially diminished lung capacity describe how incredibly hard it is for them to function with a mask and breathe. Uh, That when they go grocery shopping, they have to stop every two or three minutes because of how much the mask impedes their ability to breathe. There was a hearing impaired woman, and this was equally infuriating, they didn't set up closed captioning for this meeting. So she had to spend the entire meeting, she has some hearing capacity, but not much, with her you know, TV or whatever turned on at maximum. But she talked about what, how devastating it is for the deaf community. And I don't want to hear people talk about get those masks with the you know, plastic cutout, give me a fucking break. Um, you know, deaf people who read Lips rely on being able to see the lips move to be able to communicate in life. Um, it, I so many people made such good arguments from a medical standpoint, from a livability standpoint, from an ethical standpoint, why it is time to end the mandate. And I promise you, Karen, they're going to impose that permanent mandate.
0: Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. I do. You know, in Oregon, if there are any lawsuits or court proceedings underway by citizens to stop this permanent mask implementation, I don't know of any.
1: I don't know of any. I don't know of any. I I would think that the best, uh, like way of um, I'm not being very articulate, but I mean, wouldn't it be some kind of injunctive relief? I
0: think so. I think you're right that. I think part of the problem is they're gonna, judges are going to want to engage in some kind of risk-reward balancing. And so you'd need medical experts to testify that the masks don't do anything and through which you'd get your really good data that masks for the general population are ineffective, like from the former super masker, Dr. Monica Gandhi, you could get, you know, she's now saying that they're no longer, mask mandates are not effective for general populations and should come off and that one way masking works and you should just mask if you want to mask. People like her, people like Lena Wen for the CNN medical ano- analyst, people like Vin- Vinay Prasad, uh, Marty Macri, they could, they could get in and, and all the studies. In regard to non masked populations versus masked populations that we now have, you could get get all that in through your medical expert. But I think ultimately the judge is gonna engage in some kind of risk balancing analysis, in which case I think you're right. I think a business owner showing that mask mandates have hurt their business would be key. I, I don't know, especially in Oregon. In Multnomah County, I think you're going to have a, it's going to be tricky. Oh, yeah. I don't know. And I, I don't know. I don't do administrative law. So I don't even know who would do it. I really don't. I, I'm i sure you could raise enough money to do it if you identified the person who would take it on. But I don't know anybody who is equipped, any lawyers who are equipped to bring such a,
1: Uh lawsuit i really don't i don't either and there's still such a stigma i mean so often when i try to have any kind of you know reasonable conversation with people these are the people that just blindly follow whatever you know oha or the governor says and i think you'd have to go outside of portland
0: i think to find somebody brave enough to bring A lawsuit who's also capable, and I don't know who that person is. I don't know the administrative law person who would be able to do this, but you'd have to find somebody, I think, outside of Portland where it's not a risk to their business, it's not a risk to them personally if they oppose the mask mandate. Because we all know Portland is lunatic fringe, and I would say the majority are pro permanent masking, and all you have to do to confirm that assumption is look around and look at all the people playing golf by themselves with two surgical masks on. They're legion. They're walking by themselves with their dog and they have a K95 on. So these I, are the people that we're dealing with. So I, I think you'd have to go outside of Portland, find, find a lawyer, have no idea who they are. If, if you're a lawyer who specializes in administrative law, get on Twitter and, and publicize this. And, and let people know that you're open and available to do this, because I'm sure we could raise enough money to hire somebody, but I think it probably has to be outside of Portland. It, it has got to be somebody who's skilled in administrative law, and I don't know. I just don't know who that is, so I don't know of any such lawsuits. I wish I did. And then the other question that Colonel William Ludlow on Twitter had at O-R-Y-X underscore not underscore C-R-A-K-E was what would that look like if there were? I think we just explained that. And then he wanted to know, Jennifer, if you've taken an intro to handgun course and you did, you you're totally skilled with guns. Oh
1: yeah. Wait, what was the question? Sorry. He wanted to know if
0: you had taken an intro to handgun course yet.
1: Oh yes yeah. I, I love that guy. He's so cute. I, I his, do I, too. His picture is so funny and I'm so curious. What, what is looks his like picture his of? Do you know? I don't, I think it's, some character from a movie like some kind of kooky guy uh, yeah, I love
0: I, I'm assuming it's a guy I actually don't even know it might be a woman <laughs> we may be misgendering you Colonel William oh, Ludlow. I'm,
1: I'm constantly misgendering people I thought Rose City Outrage was a man for a long time until she said something I'm like oh no this is this is a
0: lady yeah, I think this Rose City elate. Outrage on Twitter is a woman
1: yeah uh, I'm, I'm. but I always have these visuals in my head of right. what I think people look like. <laughs> right. um, but yes, the answer is, I mean, I definitely, we definitely need to do follow-up, but we, I have a friend who is a retired, actually a retired Secret Service agent who's a badass. He was on the presidential detail for both Bush and, uh, Bush Jr. and Clinton. And he took us and gave us a, a private lesson. Um, and then we need to do more and you know practice, it's, and it's it's still remembering which thing, though you know which thing, what's the safety, what's the you know all that. So uh, it was it was great. It, it was very empowering.
0: Bye, Jennifer. We will see you next time. Thanks so much for coming on. This just in. It's about three o'clock in the afternoon, February seventh, twenty twenty two. I have whiplash. OHA just filed for the permanent mask mandate this afternoon, but now I'm hearing that the OHA is lifting mask requirements for schools and for the general public as of March 31st, 2022. Now, I want to be really careful here. Here's the thing. Now that the OHA has made the mask mandate permanent, okay, now that that's happened, they can force us at a a whim. No state of emergency, no metrics, no hearings. My understanding is, although I'm not an administrative lawyer, that OHA, uh, based on the other lawyers that I've spoken to and based on the uh, OHA administrative rules themselves, that OHA, Oregon Health Authority, can not only keep the mask mandate permanent, they could just ignore what they've just tweeted out, which is that they're removing the indoor masks by 331, generally and in schools. They can also put back into place the permanent mask mandate generally and in schools at any time, no metrics, no, no state of emergency whatsoever. No, just at a complete and total whim, they can, uh, they can lift it and they can put it back. So they could lift the permanent mandate at any time and they can put the permanent mandate back at any time. So let's brace ourselves because this kind of whiplash where they're filing for the permanent mandate and saying that it's permanent and now tweeting out that they're going to lift it, on March 31st, is they're clearly, I I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm thrilled that they're lifting it. But to say that the same day that they filed to make it permanent, they're clearly unhinged. And it it also shows that they're, they're letting us know that they can flex that permanent mask mandate muscle at any time they want and that they possibly intend to do that. So be careful about the March 31st mass mandate lift because the rules expressly state that the Oregon Health Authority, that's two specific positions, have the permanent power to lift and replace the mandate as they see fit forever. This is from OPB today, February 7th, 2022. Citing a projected drop in hospitalizations next month, Oregon health officials have announced an end to indoor mass requirements in public places no later than March 31st. That end of March timeline also includes mask requirements outside schools, OHA officials said on Monday. Now they did file a permanent rule with the Oregon Secretary of State in order to maintain the permanent mask mandate if and when they wish. So you heard it here, mask mandate Is permanent according to OHA, but they're lifting it by March 31st. So, what does that mean for us? That means they can open and close that door anytime they want to. Anytime Oregon Health Authority wants to, they can put back into place that permanent mask mandate because they now have the power to do that. You know what? I'm going to take my crumbs and savor them. If they're going to tell me that mask mandates, are going to be lifted by March 31st, I'll I'll take it. I will take any amount of time that they will give us, particularly for my kids in school, just to watch my daughter run up and down the basketball court. She's under 10 years old, you guys. And to watch her run up and down the basketball court without a mask huffing and puffing would be glorious to see even for a minute. So that's a bit of good news. We're going to end today. And thank you so much for joining us. If you want to find us on Twitter, you can find us at Rational and PDX. Please like and subscribe and tell a friend. Bye, y'all.